when all forms of negotiations have been rejected by the enemy, those teams have failed. Now your people are being killed, our people are being killed, massacres, burying 15 people in a day. That was too much for us to say, I think now there's a time uh, that we need to take up arms. This is an interview with Mpo Masemola. He was a member of the Mkonto Wesizwe, the military wing of the African National Congress. That means that in the 1980s, Mpo was an anti-apartheid guerrilla fighter. He was arrested in 1985 and spent six years as a political prisoner at Robben Island with Nelson Mandela. Today, Mpo is the Secretary General of the Ex-Political Prisoners Veterans Association of South Africa. I spoke with Mpo on Wednesday, June 16th. We were together in Damascus, Syria earlier this month as members of the international delegation to the 2021 Syrian presidential election. How were your travels on the return trip? Oh, fine. Thanks. Uh, I traveled very good and uh, hope you also traveled very good. eh? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, Considering the problems that I guess we could have (laughs) encountered on the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. What you say? Yes. uh, Thank you very much, uh, Ted um, um, uh, and uh, your listeners there. And uh, my name is Mpo Masemula the Secretary General of uh, the South African Ex-Political Prisoners Association, uh, an association which was formed by Nelson Mandela uh, when we, after we have been released from Robben Island Prison, after we came uh, out serving long prison se- sentences in the fight against apartheid and uh, racial discrimination and colonialism. And tell me, Mpo, you, uh, if, if I remember correctly, you were... Uh, at Robben Island Prison for six years, is that right? Yes, 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 Ted. Um, well, I was arrested as a young person. I was, um, you know, a young political activist, but I was a student during that time, um, a high school, you know, um, student uh, in my secondary, you know, um, um, education. And then uh, because of the height of the struggle, and the situation that we were living in, uh, abhorrent situation of racial uh, segregation and the education that we got in South Africa, as you will know, banned to education. Today, as you will know, um, it is the 45th anniversary of the 1976 uh, June 16 uprising, where the South African black youth uh, stood up and say no to Africans because Africans was a language which has been used uh, as an instrument, you know, to suppress um, the black people um, in the term of what we call uh, so-called Bantu education, which was given to us uh, to make us, you know, to be subjugated to white supremacies. So uh, today it was the celebration in the country the president of the country has also issued a statement, uh, you know, uh, congratulating the youth uh, in a different form of, a, of the struggle. Now that we are liberated, 
um, yeah, you know, speaking about, you know, uh, job creation for the youth and uh, placing the youth, you know, on the center of the new um, um, e economic struggle. And tell me, Mpo, um, you know, obviously the, there was a, a major change in the, the defeat of the apartheid system um, in the, the mid-90s um, after Mandela's release and after Nelson Mandela was elected president. Um, you mentioned the, the 1976 uprising. Um, were you participating in the youth uprising at that time or were you still too young? Did your time as an activist come a little bit later? <laughs> Ted, I was uh, very young and uh, I'm still doing my primary education. I see, yeah. Yeah, but uh, my uncle actually, he was involved. Um, may his soul uh, rest in peace, uh, he passed on. Um, he was the teacher uh, in one of the secondary school in uh, one of the province called Mpumalanga. Uh, you know, I became, you know, um, uh, politically, you know, but I was a young boy of uh, 12, 14 years, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, very innocent, but um, reading uh, political material, um, you know, being influenced by the black consciousness movement uh, of the late Steve Biko, and, uh, you know, um, being surrounded by um, the 42 mining villages, my, mines. Um, I grew up in uh, 42, um, you know, mines we, um, uh, uh, in Mpumalanga, where mining was, you know, the core of the economy. And uh, the working class, you know, was the center of, uh, you know, of the struggle. People came out from various, uh, you know, provinces uh, being, you know, uh, to offer their cheap labor, uh, getting permit to work, you know, in the mining, uh, you know, uh, farms and also in the mining, you know, uh, coal minings and uh, gold minings um, because of the fragmentations of uh, the apartheid structure and uh, you need to have the permit also uh, to go and work in the mines. If you don't have that permit, then we are being thrown into prison. Um, that is tantamount of what the Palestinian peoples uh, are being subjugated by the apartheid Israeli. Now, um, the same element and the same structure, the same policies uh, that we were subjugated to of racial discrimination, it is perpetrated to the Palestinian people. Um, the same rhetoric of apartheid, uh, you know, uh, bigotry, uh, you know, at all levels, checkpoints, uh, the same as we, we, the doctrine of apartheid uh, was adopted by the Israelis uh, from South Africa. Yes. And of course, we knew that um... We, you know, we know uh, certainly now the the level of collusion between the Zionists and the South African apartheid forces, the white supremacist forces, um, to the extent that they were arming the South African military and the South African police. Yes, they did that uh, during the. You know, we had four pillars of the struggle. It was the armed struggle, the international, you know, solidarity movement, the mass mobilization of our people 
and the mass, you know, politicization of the people. Uh, unfortunately, within that context of the armed struggle, we never choose the road of insurrection. That's why we negotiate. It was a negotiated um, um, settlement. Right. Right. And uh, the upper, the Zionist regime continued, you know, to, uh, to you know, was aiding and abetting, you know, apartheid. Uh, by giving them the you know military equipment so that they can kill our people who are resisting against um, apartheid colonialism in our township so we we held israel accountable for that and uh, that is why apartheid was declared as a crime against humanity right uh, around the world but they aided and also abated you know uh, you know the regime during that time so we are not surprised Yes, it, I mean it makes sense because both, um, you know, both uh, countries, the the Zionist uh, occupation and the the South African, you know, colonial forces, were sort of predicated on the same premise of of European white settlers stealing land, oppressing the people who already lived there, and um, you know, I'm curious about something that you said a little bit earlier. I wonder. You know, you, you said that you were in still in primary school, of course, during the 76 uprising. Could you explain uh, about Bantu education and about Bantu stands for people who might not know what that is? Yeah, you know, the apartheid regime, because of, the, in, of its discriminatory laws, they created a particular education um, that separate us, all the people that are living in South Africa. The white people were receiving the different form of education, which is scientific, uh, where they were allowed to go to universities, uh, go, allowed to go to, you know, uh, um, 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 to colleges, receiving, you know, free bursaries. And then our system of education, it was uh, properly uh, designed, you know, uh, uh, for us uh, to keep us to work for, you know, continue to work for white people, uh, to be subjugated as, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, drawers of wood and uh, the Yabas system. Uh, you know, um, growing up, uh, being inferior to white people, looking at them as, you know, being inferior and uh, you look at them as superior people. And uh, in South Africa, the contextual part of it, it was worse because you see the small dolls that are, uh, 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 are used by small children for playing, right? These dolls were white, and then yeah. uh, all of them they were white. There was no black dolly, and then uh, dolls. And then when you 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 buy it as a black parent um, from the shop in town, and then you bring it uh, to you know when you raise your children, when they look at the doll, it is white with white hair. Everything is white, so. The element of supremacy begins there from the childhood level. Uh, when you grow up at the age of 10 to 15 years, then you regard a white person as supreme and uh, you know, to you and uh, whatever he says, yes, it's good because it's come from him because you grew up playing with the dolls. Right. And these dolls were not black, they were white. And uh, you can hear small children psychologically when they play that uh, 
some of them, they say, when I grew up, I want to be white. Oh. And then God. you want to be white. Why? No, because white is beautiful. And then black, no, it's not beautiful. Right. So they were trying to inculcate, uh, you know, that philosophy, uh, which was resisted in 1976. And I mean, that that level of, of really psychological torture against children um, to, is, is part of that, that broader genocidal campaign to eradicate culture in all, in all its forms, um, to make children not be interested in their own culture because of the, the white supremacist system that they're living under. Um, you mentioned your, your uncle um, as a, a, a politically active person. Um, was, was your uncle a big influence in, in helping you understand the struggle and, and gain a black consciousness? Yeah, actually, my uncle was one of the, he was arrested, actually, um, as a teacher and being detained for some few weeks um, because he was uh, teaching history in one of the famous uh, um, secondary school in one of the province in Mpumalanga called Whitbank. Uh, he's uh, famously known as uh, Mr. Masemola. Uh, William William Masemola, See, yeah. and uh, you know, um, equivocally, he was teaching history from the current material conditions that are happening in the country. You know, our history was uh, based on the white history. Uh, there was no black history. Even now, the African National Congress after liberation, we said to them, we need to change um, the structure of education from the kindergarten to the primary level so that our youth can be able to know who, what happened, the struggles against colonialism, uh, the struggle uh, against apartheid, and who were the leaders uh, that were involved into the struggle. Now I'm happy that they are, you know, putting that into a contextual element. And uh, my son, uh, recently asked me, I saw his history book, was doing, uh, you know, grade eight, um, saying, Daddy, I saw they're speaking about Robben Island here. What happened in Robben Island? You were there with Mandela and what? So I was, you know, I was very much happy to hear that uh, uh, recently um, our history has been recognized because we have been taught about one of the settler colonialists who made a mess when he landed the first time on this country in 1652. His name was Jan van Riebeck. You see, coming from Holland. Mm, yes. And uh, yes, um, you know, uh, colonial settler who dis dispossessed our people of their land, cattle, and, uh, you know, the Khoisan war and uh, the resistance of the chiefs, black chiefs, you know, from some of the areas in the country and then who resisted against them some of them they were beheaded the battle of Sandrana of 1889 you know some of them the chiefs were sent to Robben Island in the early 1400s uh, Robben wow. Island was a colony of torture it was a hell hole uh, that those that uh, having a different opinion in the country must be thrown into the hell hole and in isolation there, in solitary confinement, in very harsh winter conditions uh, to be isolated from the community. But unfortunately, 
We, as political prisoners, our leader, Esma Diba, we have turned the tides, we have turned Robben Island to be a university. <laughs> you know. That's right, yes. Yeah, from, 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 you know, what was, you know, from the hellhole to be the triumph of the human spirit, you know. Truly. Uh, you know, uh, against, you know, pettiness, against evil things. And uh, because we did not want Robben Island to be our monument of suffering. Yes. But we wanted it, you know, to be the triumph of, you know, uh, human spirit. And uh, as a beacon of freedom uh, to all the world, to the peoples of the world, that, uh, you know, coming from the hellhole of uh, suppression, terrorism, and, uh, you know, torture, we emerge as victorious, as a winning people to say to the world, even if our detractors have killed us, but this is uh, uh, for the future of our people, here we are today, <laughs> dead. And <laughs> it's Conrad, a great nation. A, yes, and what a gorgeous way, like a metaphor for you know, teaching history in that way, where it is not just a litany of atrocities. It is a history of resistance from the very beginning. Um, and I have to say, I, I, I feel naive about this. I had not realized that the history of Robben Island went back that far. You know, in South Africa, during the 80s, um, you know, um, during, it was the height of the struggle where our masses, uh, you know, were very much politically conscious uh, resisting, it was the height of the resistance uh, where the black population, uh, the non-white, I mean, the, you know, non-racial element of the struggle emerged because you can see some other white liberals, uh, you know, joined the popular movement, uh, you know, um, the colored people joined in and, uh, you know, under the banner of what we call the United Democratic Front. It was a non-racial institution galvanizing and mobilizing our people across racial lines to say, we want to build a South Africa that is non-racial, democratic, non-sexist, and free. That was the message to the world. But during that height of the struggle, uh, the president of the ANC in exile, uh, comrade, the late Oliver Tambo, uh, you know, announced and made a declaration to the country through Radio Freedom to say, now is the time that the South African youth, you can must make apartheid ungovernable. Yes. You yes. see, that call was received in every corner of the society. That is why even the Palestinian struggles now, we told them that you must make apartheid Zionism ungovernable. The same as, the same equation. And uh, during that time, we had to mobilize the ANC through the underground movement. That was the time when I was joining the underground movement because remember that the ANC was banned uh, in 1960. So right. no, nobody can operate overtly 
and raise the banner of the organization because many political prisoners or activists were thrown into arbitrary detention, uh, torture, solitary confinement, and also facing imprisonment for carrying the flag of the ANC and carrying the document that is called the Freedom Charter. It was illegal. You know, speaking about the ANC, it was illegal. People were thrown into jail. And uh, apartheid was so, you know, evil in such an extent that there was uh, some areas when you walk in town, in the so-called white areas, there were places reserved for white people to walk, like on the pavement. You know, on the pavement, it's only reserved for white people. Uh, if they find you walking on the pavement, then you, you get arrested. <laughs> right. And uh, if you want to relieve yourself, you see the signs of apartheid. They say, Chien Blanques in Africans, uh, non-whites and then whites. And uh, sometimes it's whites okay. only. Then you go to that uh, 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 bathroom. When you come out, here's the policeman. You got arrested and been changed. <laughs> you know, that was a crazy element, you know, system. Yes, yes, it was, you know, quite evil that you can walk. Uh, you know, there was a system that was called Tom Pass. It's a pass. Um, you must have that. Uh, if you don't have it, you get arrested because they'll ask you, what do you want here? No, I'm going to work. Where's your pass? And then if you don't have it, you got arrested. White people in the pass, they sit in the front. Black people, they were sitting at the back. And you keep quiet there up until all of them, they, you know. Now, the systematic all forms of racism, you know, we grew under those uh, circumstances because even at school, you know, what I learned is you, 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 you are not born as a racist, Ted. You are being taught to become a racist. Right. So right. the white Africaners, uh, they taught their children about racism, how to hate a black person. Black person is not a human being because of the color of the hair. White people, they've got long hair. I've got short hair, so it means we're not equal. And uh, those were the architects that formed apartheid. And uh, in the 80s, all those things were visible to us. And then we said, now is the time to make apartheid ungovernable. So we had to resist. Uh, I was a student during that time to mobilize all the black you know, consciousness um, uh, students to say, no, to ban to education. Let's resist it now and demand equal education. Because of the level of oppression, it was necessary. Um, it was a strategic decision to, to be an underground movement as well. Was it yeah. difficult to find that movement? Was it, how, how was it that you, you got to get involved as a, an active uh, political activist and organizer? Um, the MK, known as the military wing, of the African National Congress have infiltrated cadres inside the country to recruit, you know, young political activists, uh, you know, uh, from different townships and then into units, small units yeah. and uh, underground units 
where you, I, I was I was in a unit when uh, when we operated, we were five, not more than that. Actually, three people in a unit, not knowing each other. You are being trained in what we call military combat work, the MCW, and then the politic military combat work. It is you as a trained guerrilla. How do you survive in the community? How do you work without being seen? Recruiting people into small uh, military cells. Because during that time, the system, the apartheid regime, there was a lot of massacres inside the country. Yes, yes. So where to massacres, you bury 50 people in one weekend, 100 people in other weekend, 30 people in other weekend, the apartheid regime had some small units recruiting some other black people who are coming from the so-called Bantu stands. You see, those that are in favor of the regime who were against the resistance, they were recruited to fight. Now, when you work underground, you have been trained into the military combat work. Being trained in the military combat work, it is also for you to teach the other small units, how do we resist? I remember in my township in Pumala, when we mustered the art of guerrilla warfare, we started to dig, dig, digging out the trenches. We will switch off the main switch of the lights, the, more, the main power light in the township. We turn it into a war zone. Then we will dig during the night very big trenches. Then we put spikes inside those trenches. And then we will arm our people with small ammunition, AK-47s, uh, pistols, Makarov, and small in defense of our people because we are being massacred. Now, these small units were very much powerful and much coordinated, but we did not know each other because of, for security reasons. Of course, yeah, yeah. Then we will light on the power and the lights of the streets, everybody will have the light. Then covering very nicely the, you know, um, the trenches so that the regime cannot see in the main roads. They will come with the pink military tanks, you know, military tanks. Some of them, I remember there was an ambush in uh, 1984, uh, during the night, that military tank went into, you know, fell into the trenches, I mean, into a trench. And then when they were screaming inside the apartheid soldiers, we throw we, 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 some of the hand grenades, uh, we throw uh, the Molotov cocktails. You know, the Molotov cocktail, the petrol right. bomb. Yes, yes yeah. we throw into them, they banned, some of them, they died. Then they decided to, the township was under siege. We call it seven days war. Wow. No movement, nothing. If they find you in the street, no work, nothing. So that's how we, we learned the, 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 the art of warfare, starting to dig the trenches and uh, operating underground in some small, you know, uh, caves, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the township communicating, disguising, masquerading and doing all these things. 
It's recorded in the history of South Africa. Yes. In various townships. But we emerged victorious because it's in itself, you mobilize the people. People asking, why are we under siege? <laughs> it's a self-mobilization. And uh, we made the system ungovernable in such an extent that when they massacred, and then there was a time when we say, let us take the struggle into the white areas. Ah, the ANC yes. announced. Yes. When we took the struggle into the white community, that's when now they started to negotiate with us. <laughs> <laughs> so the because, way that it was sort of working is you, the you know, the cells working in, in these communities, these were black communities that, that you started working in and the, the apartheid forces would come and try and, you know, put you under siege or draw you out. Um, and you were able to, to organize and, and fight a war uh, of defense of your own communities and then taking it to the next level to escalate it to the white communities. That's when, you know, you sort of, they forced yes. them to, to oh, that's fascinating. And so you know, the, when they wake up in the morning, they will see pamphlets. And then when we say, uh, we have changed the tactics of the struggle. Uh, now the struggle is going to be, we are going to attack the soft targets. Yeah. And then it will be in the white community. And I would imagine that the, um, you know, fighting uh, a powerful apartheid white supremacist state like you were, the, the preponderance of force was on the apartheid army's side, no doubt. Um, I'm sure they had more sophisticated technology and weaponry and whatnot, um, but you were still able to be successful um, in the fight. Why, why do you think that was? Why is it that um, resistant groups and guerrilla strikes, uh, guerrilla tactics that where you don't have the superior milita military technology is still able to defeat um, a system like apartheid? Ted, maybe that question you can ask the Americans when they were defeated by the Vietnamese. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Ho Chi Minh, General Ho Chi Minh. You can yes. ask that question to General Ho Chi Minh. Yes. Because some of our cadres were trained by Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam and, uh, you know, the art of guerrilla warfare. And uh, it worked because you cannot, uh, one of the important elements within guerrilla warfare, you must work within the masses. The armed propaganda, the political wing, I mean, the political propaganda, you know, it must be the cornerstone of your campaigns. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about next. And I, you know, I think also the, our comrades in the, um, Ali Abu Mustafa brigades in the PFLP armed wing in, in Palestine are engaging in just the kind of struggle you did uh, at the time. Could you talk about how, while you were operating in the, the armed wing of the, the ANC, how that, um, how outreach to the communities and to your, um, your, you know, brothers, sisters and siblings in, in the area, how, how did you do that? How did you um, get the community and the working class on your side and get them to understand what you were doing? Yeah, remember, I was not staying at home because during that time, I was on the run. Right, right. And then um, there was a safe house for us in the township. We don't go out during the day. We only go out during the night because we are disguised. And during the day, you will never see our faces there. We are busy preparing, strategizing what targets to hit. 
the military targets and some other you know, apartheid forces. And uh, we succeeded by driving all the apartheid agents and collaborators out of the townships. We drove them wow, out of them. Okay. They took their families, they ran away. They stayed uh, you know, in the police stations in the military barracks because we drove them. And are you referring the to these collaborators, were they black collaborators or was it uh, you know, non-black people of color, white uh, um, you know, workers? They were black. Oh, I see, I see. You know, every, in every war, you will have collaborators from your own uh, you know, organization. They will collaborate with the system as we did, as the Palestinians now, um, some of, uh, you know, in the resistance, we've got um, some of the collaborators, uh, highly paid sources, and uh, who are telling the regime when to attack and how to attack and which are the targets. Yeah. So each and every war has its own, you know, dynamics. And you, uh, you mentioned earlier the, um, you know, the, the black consciousness movement and the, um, you know, as it related to, say, the, the mines, the mining industry in your area. Did you find that the, the working class um, was the, the vanguard of the, the black consciousness movement of the, the resistance? Yes, because in 1984, uh, the, there was the launch of the National Union of Mine Workers. And uh, under the banner of uh, COSATU, COSATU is the biggest trade union federation, trade uh, union federation in South Africa. Uh, they started to mobilize the working class in the mining village uh, under the banner of COSATU uh, uh, and the NUM. And uh, the level of political consciousness to mobilize the workers to join the popular resistance, to join the mass resistance and also at the workplace, you see, um, the workers in all these mining villages, they supported our struggle because I was under the youth uh, student movement called COSAS. Uh, COSAS uh, was the student and non-racial democratic uh, formation which was formed by the ANC. It's called the Congress of the South African Students, a progressive uh, student movement. I see, I see. Yes. You know, I, I uh, recently, um, you know, doing a lot of work around the effort to, to free Mumia Abu-Jamal, the political prisoner in the U.S., um, who, you know, was actually arrested in 1981, you know, uh, uh, right? So he was in prison right around the time that you were, um, you know, getting more and more involved in the struggle. Um, but recently, the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa put out a statement in solidarity with and calling to, for the release of Mumia Abu-Jamal. And I was so amazed by the, the statement from the National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa. The political consciousness of this union statement was like beyond anything that we see from organized labor in the U.S. Yes, yes, of course. Um, you know, we, through the, we use one of the pillars of the struggle was the um, uh, uh, international solidarity movement, which called for sanctions against the apartheid regime. You see, yeah, that yeah. pillar is a very powerful pillar. Uh, that is why uh, we had the anti-apartheid formations around the world, in the US also, in the UK, and also in Europe, who said, now we are siding with the people of South Africa and apartheid system was isolated. The anti-apartheid movement, 
the same as uh, the level of the Palestinian people now, that uh, the, the international solidarity movement, as you did in uh, Syria, Ted, uh, the solidarity movement in Syria, that weapon is a very powerful weapon, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, adhering to, uh, you know, joining the solidarity movements in all over the oppressed nations and also assisting them in spreading the words. I mean, the word of being, of them, you know, people crying for freedom and, uh, you know, the work that we are doing now, it's, this is an anti-apartheid formation or yes. solidarity formation, which is very much, you know, uh, powerful, uh, uh, Ted. Did you, you know, while engaging with the community and while learning guerrilla tactics, did you in your cell engage in uh, political education amongst yourselves? Yes. Um, as I said before, um, the military wing of the ANC were providing us with uh, military combat work, that is political education. And, uh, you know, uh, 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 in terms of, you know, because you cannot lead people without political education. You must understand the content and the context of the National Democratic Revolution right, uh, right. here in South Africa, that uh, who is the enemy and uh, why are we fighting and uh, what forces to be mobilized? You know, the working class is the pillar and the social uh, force, uh, uh, you know, uh, to be mobilized in order to transform the society from apartheid into a non-racial democratic, you know, society. And uh, we received underground uh, uh, band, so-called band material from the ANC. We were reading it and we educate ourselves and uh, we were taught by various guerrillas uh, underground uh, about the military combat work and political education. And uh, up until uh, we were arrested in 1985, was, I remember it was on the 11th August uh, of 1985, uh, when uh, the day after I was arrested, the apartheid uh, minister of police, Adrian Flock, uh, 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 declared the state of emergency. Oh, wow. Because of the height of the struggle and the country was ungovernable. And uh, there was a call from the international community to release political prisoners and, uh, you know, uh, 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 for apartheid to, to be demolished. And uh, I was arrested on the 11th uh, of August uh, from the uh, uh, safe house uh, together with my two comrades. One of them uh, escaped and uh, he, later, he was later, you know, uh, shot at. Uh, he was hunted down, and uh, but he resisted with an AK-47, but he died. And uh, the two of us, they got a lot of uh, uh, material, uh, the so-called Ben material of the NC. And, uh, you know, and uh, the first, uh, you know, um, during, on the first day uh, of our arrest, we were tortured, brutally tortured. I was electrocuted from the testicles, yeah. They put some wires there, and then there was a four-corner, uh, you know, generator where they, uh, you know, they, you know, increase the, the volume, and then they touch it on your testicles. And, uh, 
yeah, and until you urinate yourself, you urinate because now you cannot control the bladder could not control the urine. Of course. And uh, continuous interrogation tactics, uh, sleepless. You don't sleep. They continue to interrogate you the whole day and night, and you are being deprived of food. And uh, they use physical violence. They, I was, uh, they broke my hand. Even now, I just forgot <laughs> to show you my hand, my right hand on my knuckles here. It was, uh, you know, uh, broken, broken, bro totally broken. The hand uh, with a chair and uh, because they are throwing everything to you, you are being beaten to pulp. And uh, there was uh, 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 in, at the police station during the time of the in, uh, interrogation, the apartheid regime used a system that is called, uh, there's a belt that is called straight jacket. That belt, uh, uh, you know, a small dog, um, you know, it has sometimes the jacket uh, where it can put the four legs in and then it is wrapped around the body. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe for warmth. Yes. But that one is just, it's like a, they call it, it's like a blanket, but uh, it is made out of rubber. And then it has some bells because they they strip you naked and uh, lying on the floor the whole day, cold floor. Then they pour water on you, and then after that, they 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 wrap you with that belt very very tight, and then they squeeze it to you. They squeeze it to you in such an extent that you can't breathe with that belt. It's called straight jacket. My God. And then they throw you down there. They pour you with water. They will, uh, 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 they leave you like that up, up until the following morning. And uh, I want to tell you now that many of our comrades died of uh, uh, suffocation uh, because some of them, they were, you know, some having some ailments, like if you have uh, asthma, if you're asthmatic, you know, um, subsequently you will. You can't breathe on the thing; you will die. Of and uh, yeah, if you've got high blood pressure, subsequently you will die out of the thing because um, I'm talking out of experience. Uh, you can't breathe out of the whole thing there. Uh, up yeah. until they come the following morning, uh, if you are lucky, you will be still breathing, breathing, and then. Uh, uh, when they wanted you to confess, uh, where is the ammunition and uh, what are you doing? Who, who are your sources? And then uh, I lost, you know, close to six to seven comrades who died. Uh, uh, me watching them with a straight jacket. The following day, you'll see they, they are on the stretcher and with blankets, then they are no more. So that was the system that they used. And uh, some of us, I survived that, the straight jacket, uh, you know. And uh, there was this South African notorious uh, apartheid clause that is called the Section 29 of the Internal Security Act. Uh, that one is, uh, is used by the 
a Zionist in Palestine. It's called uh, Section 29 of the uh, uh, Internal Security Act. Uh, that section uh, is the detention without trial. Um, it's an arbitrary detention where you don't have any rights, oh, no see. visits, no books. Uh, we are being punished not to eat. They call it uh, three meal or three meal day, three times a day, you see. Uh, we are being, you received spare di diet. They call it spirit diet or spare diet. It means it's half ration. If you're gonna have an egg, uh, a fried egg and two slices of bread, then they'll, they will cut that egg, the, the small egg to be half. <laughs> and then they cut, you know, um, the, the slice of the slice of a bread and then they give you half. It's half ration for you. So if you are diabetic, then you won't survive, you'll die. Because you Which need really, a lot of damage. It's another form of torture in itself. That Yes. Um, and now, and then, uh, no, please continue. Yeah. Uh, they put you, throw you in a small cell. Um, it's a four, no, no, no. It's, it's three, three, three and a half meters. One, two, three. No, 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 it's four meters. One, two, three, four. When you walk, it's one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Meter cell. And uh, no bed. It's just a, a mat. And then with a blanket that uh, you can also see the sun when you raise the blanket because it's too light. Sometimes they take the blanket and uh, throw water on the floor. And then there's a light they don't switch off the light. A very, very bright light to torture your eyes. Uh, and uh, you don't read anything in that section. Is this, uh, were you in solitary confinement at this point with the, the cell and the, the light on constantly? Yes, uh, the, I was removed from the uh, police station uh, with a broken hand. They throw me and charge me with section 29 of the Internal Security Act. And, and it was at the police. It was at the police station that you experienced the torture that you just described. Yes, and then they move you out, and then we were sent to prison. Um, um, uh, it's a uh, uh, well. It's a it's, it's a prison uh, like an isolated prison, a maximum security site of it where criminals are held. I see. But uh, yeah, they have a site where they hold us as political prisoners. They. Yes. And was this at Robben Island or were you sent there at a different, a later time? No, it was before Robben Island. I see. Yes. And uh, after that, remember, but there were many tactics and uh, many stories <laughs> to tell. Uh, we defeated the system there because we were singing songs. Uh, one cell after the other, there's a comrade. One cell after the other. It means in one block, we were like four or five but we can't see each other. And uh, we are being deprived of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, to walk or, you know, or to train or physical, you know, uh, you know, and uh, there's nothing, nothing like that. You stay in your cell, uh, they lock you up and, uh, you know, and then um, the, there's a small window. In that small window, it's only your hand 
you see your hand turn that can go out your hand on the small window but you can't see your neighbors what we did is if one of us is right uh, is having something a note smuggled through him and then we will take the blanket because that blanket was so lean and thin we will tear something like a thread you know a thread from the blanket a long one then you tie the note or the soap for somebody else you tie it nicely and then you throw it outside you hold it and then you will you know sway it swing it i mean like swing it round up and down swing it then until the next person in your, your neighbor catches it <laughs> with his head also you see <laughs> so <laughs> and that like you no know, i remember I, I for the rest of my life comrade i will remember the first night that we are both in in damascus together and you describing the system of smuggling notes or or single pages of a book at a time to your comrades yes. in this the next cell uh, you you described also how if 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 you tried to swing the the thread that you pulled from the blanket and it uh, you know you weren't feeling anyone grab it then you would make it a little longer because maybe it wasn't <laughs> yes. I mean that that even even in the the most locked down oppressed circumstances um, you were able to still find means to resist with what it what you know on the face of it would look like no tools at all at your disposal you still developed tools to resist yes <laughs> um, you know i want to ask and i i understand like if if this is too much i understand because i can't imagine the the trauma of going through uh torture and that kind of incarceration um you know i'm sure as a guerrilla fighter you are trained and you sort of know that they will torture you in this way it sounds like, I mean, there's no possible way to, to prepare yourself for, for what they, you know, put yourself, put you through, um, and your comrades through. Um, but, you know, we spent, you know, some time together, you know, many days together in, in Damascus and you were, you're so friendly and, and have a great sense of humor and, and you maintained your whole humanity and, and your smile and your humor. And I want to know, you know, what, what do you do in those, conditions to when you're being treated like an animal to, to keep your humanity? Well, Ted, uh, you know, all those things were, you know, mechanical, you know, uh, issues that were being thrown into you. But I would like just to tell you something that uh, uh, because of courage mm. and our commitment mm. uh, to liberate this country, then there was nothing that is going to stand behind, you know, behind ourselves. And uh, that so many people died being shot at, you know, resisting. Now that we are in prison, why should we abandon the struggle? And uh, we knew that Nelson Mandela is in prison for quite a long time. And, you know, fighting for us, we knew that uh, one day we will, we win, uh, you know, through courage, Resilience also, you know, was part and parcel of it. And uh, another tool that made us, you know, to be very strong, it is political education. Uh, but that, that part, it was mainly dominating, uh, you know, in uh, uh, Robben Island. 
um, after solitary confinement, then we were charged, you know, uh, with high treason and, uh, you know, uh, 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 high treason and terrorism. You see, saying you wanted to overthrow the apartheid regime, so you are, you are a terrorist. <laughs> you see, uh, it's vis-a-vis -vis because they were the terrorists, but they're saying I'm a terrorist. So I was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And then the first time when you arrive at Robben Island, it was a different phase of the struggle. Uh, because on our en route to the island, we met Nelson Mandela. Uh, yeah, en route to the island, it was during the night. And uh, there, it was a stopover from Johannesburg to Cape Town. And Mandela was at Paul's Moor prison. And, uh, you know, uh, we were told that Man Mandela is here. Wow. And I'm telling you, Chief, and uh, we couldn't sleep. We couldn't do anything. We said, we are not going to eat. When they wanted to give us food, we said, no, we don't want food. We want to see Mateba. They refused. After three days, he was told. And then he said, allow them to see me. Then we saw him. I'm telling you, Chief, I did not wash my hand. <laughs> when I created him, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine. And at then that the point, morale was so high. Yeah, that and, you know, Matibo was asking us, "Hey, you young man, why are you here in prison? What do you want here?" Then we said, "Matiba, we are here to release you. We are here to, you know, uh, take you out of this jail." He said, "But we are also in jail and serving long terms." <laughs> So it was, you know, you know, the morale was so, you know, that I can see now that we are going to be free yeah. when we saw Matiba. And he had already been in prison for over 20 years at that point, right? Yes, yes. Uh, remember, he was removed. Uh, I was arrested in, uh, in 1985 when we were sent to Robben Island. Uh, Matiba went, uh, he was taken out from Robben Island in 1980, 1983. I see. I see. Yes, because the, the white regime, they wanted now to start the negotiations with him to say, can you save us now? Because uh -huh. the country is ungovernable. <laughs> right. Can, can you talk to your people to resist violence? <laughs> <laughs> and he refused to do that, right? You yes. know, I, I want to ask yes. you because... You know, this is, you know, you, you make such beautiful comparisons between the apartheid struggle and the struggle for the liberation of Palestine. And, you know, to fight against uh, an oppressive colonizer occupation um, by any means necessary, like Brother Malcolm X said, um, including armed struggle is legitimate. It is legitimate to take up arms against your oppressor, especially as you were saying, like this was after massacres and burying so many of your community members. What would you say to someone now who is questioning the right of Palestinians um, or uh, black Americans in the US for that matter to take up armed resistance against their oppressors? Um, how would you explain that to someone to make them understand why it's legitimate? If when all forms of negotiations have been, you know, rejected by the enemy. Uh, remember, uh, the ANC was not a violent organization on its formation. 
uh, on its formation. You can read so many books. The history of the armed struggle started in 1960. Mm. The ANC was formed in 1912. Right. So right. all the time it was a peaceful, you know, resistance, uh, pre-peaceful protest, begging them, asking them to say, uh, guys, let's sit down and talk. There were talks and talks, like uh, uh, equivalent to the Palestinians, uh, the Oslo Accords, which have not worked. Eh? The Oslo Accords have failed. Exactly. A complete, a complete scam, you know, in order to you break see, resistance. Yes. So those things, systems have failed. Now your people are being killed without us defending. You know, I was so, you know, shattered when I was standing next to a woman, a pregnant woman. She was nine months pregnant um, in her house because I was running away from the police, uh, jumping the fence, going to the other neighborhood. And then because now the area was surrounded, I seek shelter to that woman. Now she wanted to see what is going on. I said, no, the police don't go outside. Mm. There are police outside. And then she was heavily pregnant and uh, she was shot in the stomach. She died. No. Oh. Next to me, you know, you know, oh, that thing, you know, that thing I'm telling you, I was, I went crazy. I was a little bit mad, you know, for some time. I could not understand shooting an, an, an um, person standing there watching, not even carrying a stone, heavily pregnant, pregnant, nine months. Then you shoot and kill them. My God. So you see. It's the same equivalent as the people of Palestine, uh, where they don't have any defense, but they're being shot at, uh, you know, being maimed, uh, going on the checkpoint, and uh, through the occupation, uh, you know, uh, uh, forced evictions. And uh, we went through all that, Ted. Right. That happened in South Africa, in such an extent that when we said, our people are being killed, massacres, you know, burying 15 people in a day to the graveside. That was too much for us to say, I think now we need, to, there's a time uh, that we need to take up arms. Yes. That, and that I remember Oliver Tambo said to us, there comes a time in South Africa or in the history of mankind where there remains two choices. And uh, that time has come into South Africa, whether you submit or you fight. Yes. So you have to choose between whether you submit or you fight. So the same, the same acceleration, the same, you know, wave of this resistance, you know, in Palestine, people should not be amazed to say, no, uh, the Palestinians are terrorists, they are carrying guns. Carrying guns for what? Because they are occupied. They are colonized and occupied. Their rights, uh, the, the human, there's no human rights there. Now people, in any other way, they should have any form of resistance. That's why they're resisting against the system, using all means at their disposal. You throw the stones, you know, with a gun, 
Anything that I can see that it will liberate me, it is a necessity. Because it's it, no matter what, it is a the greatest moral outrage is to let the system continue. Yes, there's, there's nothing that could be a greater moral outrage than that. Um, Indeed. If you have any uh, personal recollections um, uh, about Nelson Mandela that you'd like to share. I had uh, some of his videos, um, if maybe you want me to send it to you. Yeah, please. But it was after, you know, the prison element. But um, uh, when when we met in prison, uh, he told me, I mean, it was, you know, another changing phase of uh, my outlook when I see things, you see, to say, I met Madiba. When we went to Robben Island, we met uh, some other Rivonia trialist. He's co-accused because they were still there. And uh, it was an eye-opening for me to see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel to say, we are going to be free. Yeah. And uh, the changing face of the nature of the struggle in South Africa. Uh, 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 you know, from the mass organizations into a popular struggle, uh, which won the international, you know, acclaimed by the international uh, community and the United Nations to say, yes, indeed, apartheid is the crime against humanity. And, uh, you know, yeah, Madiba, you know, in his collections, even, you know, you know, I was quite amazed when he was released the first, you know, visit when he went to Palestine, you know, and then and then he's, he told them that uh, we are not, South Africa is not going to be free when the Palestinians are not. What did he say to us? This is what I'm doing currently in his organization that he formed for us to say, you need to work with the international community. You need to work with other liberation movements and assist those that are still oppressed. That is why I'm serving now proudly in his association that he founded and formed to say, uh, I'm the voice of the voiceless. And uh, I will, I'm carrying his banner of freedom, human rights and dignity to, to the world to say, here we are and we are here to assist and play a meaningful role uh, to liberate those that are still oppressed. Madiba said that he never, you know, changed his ways. He died, you know, those ways are recorded. So we are his apostles. Yes. I'm Nelson Mandela's apostles. As Jesus had his own apostles, we are spreading the words of freedom, dignity and human rights and liberation and free, free Palestine. been listening to Workers World Podcast. Hear more at workers.org.